Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10x10 Horror Watch List, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch List for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Kane Senez and Hannah Barlow are the director duo behind Sissy, an Australian slasher comedy about bullying, social media, and the processing of trauma. Sissy was the opening night film of the prestigious South by Southwest Midnighters program and won multiple awards on the festival circuit before becoming a Shudder original. Prior to Sissy, Kane directed Echoes of War in 2015 and then For Sure in 2019, which he co-directed with Hannah, which was her directorial debut. Sissy is now streaming on Shudder, so check it out. Without further ado, here are director team Kane Senez and Hannah Barlow, directors of Sissy. <laughs> Hannah, Kane, good to see you both. How's it going? Good to see you too. Yeah, nice, nice to be on your show. Thank you, thank you. So, what first of all brings you both to the south of France right now? Well, we've been doing a film festival tour since we started at South by um, in March earlier this year, and uh, Kane did a French exchange when he was sixteen. That's paid off. <laughs> yeah, I made I made friends while I stayed with my French family, and you know we were uh, we we stayed in touch all these years, nice. um, which goes to show you why it's important to stay in touch with your childhood friends. But uh, because we basically had a few weeks to kill uh, before Sitges, which is the last stop on our tour uh which is next week so we were like hey can can we come chill at your uh, guest house in the countryside for you know for, <laughs> for three weeks and they were like absolutely oh that's so, awesome so, yeah. so you're still on the festival nice. tour with sissy yeah yeah it yeah. keeps going apparently until like mid-november Oh, wow. Well, because, you know, I mean, even though it's out now on Shutter in uh, the States, Europe, Canada, uh, uh, the UK, sorry, and, and Ireland and Canada, but nowhere else. So, so like, we're about to go play in Spain at Citrus, so it's not it's not out in Spain yet, so you can still play festivals. Oh, cool. So, I heard Citrus is a lot of fun. You're going to have a blast. Yeah, that's what we've heard as well. So we're very excited. Yeah. And also, all the filmmakers that we've met, through this year in different countries, they're all going to Sidious. So it's, oh, great. it'll be a really fun class of 22 reunion. Yeah. 
<laughs> all the all the kind of all the kind of um, horror filmmakers um, of this of this year on the festival circuit. I feel like it'll be like a kind of greatest hits up in Citrus. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! Yeah, it's a tight knit group, and it doesn't have that competitive vibe between them. Like everybody seems communal, and they want everybody else to succeed. I mean, it's a very tight knit group. The horror filmmaking crowd. It is yeah. so lovely. It's been so lovely to meet everyone and you nailed it. You hit the nail on the head. Like yeah. it's inclusive. It's celebratory. People are excited for each other. And that's just, yeah. It's very different. And, and this is our first horror film or our first genre film, really. I mean, so, so you know, like it's it's our first taste of kind of playing festivals that aren't just broad festivals. Yeah. Um, that actually are kind of genre specific. And it's just like that circuit itself has just been so welcoming. And like the programmers all talk to each other. So you arrive at a festival and they go, ah, oh, you know, I saw your film because I got a screener from that festival or whatever. Like they all try to help each other make their festivals as, as cool as possible. And I, I enjoy that. I Irony because you know we're making and programming really nasty content but everybody is so lovely and, yeah. and joyous yeah well i think yeah. you have to be <laughs> well no there's a lot of theories about that there's one theory that says that horror fans are typically have higher iqs and <laughs> they're oh. typically smarter um, another one says that typically they are people who are confrontational about elements of life that are less flattering and less uh you know right and joyous they're confrontational about things like death but in turn it makes they're usually typically like happy very just good decent people because they're drawn yeah. to darkness because darkness is typically not a part of their everyday experience Wes Craven being a perfect example everybody who ever worked with him said he was like the sweetest nicest guy and you could never imagine last house on the left came from a guy like that no but yeah it's a funny no, exactly. paradox yeah. but it's true like i don't know if you've ever met mick garris but like very very sweet guy very sweet guy and he's like one of the masters of horror guillermo del toro too like they're all just sweethearts you know they're all very lovable yeah but, yeah so you're it's, it's um cool we we've just been watching um the evolution of horror on shutter and um Mick, Mick is one of the hosts with, well, like he's kind of one of like the round table that they kind of cut back to all the time with him and Rob Zombie. And I think Eli Roth is like the host of it. So, oh, nice. and it's just like, it's like they look like kind of Mick and especially Rob Zombie obviously kind of looks like, you know, real kind of uh, gothic-y. Uh, but, but then when they all kind of talk, they're just normal sweetheart guys who, yeah. who just have news or whatever. And like Sam Zimmerman, who's the head programmer of, of Shudder and the VP, like he's like the nicest guy I've ever met. Yeah. Like he's so, so sweet. Just a sweetheart, but yeah. kind of can rattle you off every single horror film that he's seen and, and particularly loves like um, new extremism, which, mm. you know, is kind of where we tend to draw a line, like we'll watch it. Like we um, we saw one on the first episode. Yeah, it's like winning all these awards. It won the best film at Fantasia. Um, wow. And it's brilliantly made that you watch it and you're just like, this is this is, this is is just too much for it me. It was like, hard to watch, even happy. though it's brilliantly made. Yeah, yeah. So that's your line. So, you know. I have to check it out. I always like pushing my <laughs> own boundary. My line is probably Serbian film and Martyrs. Like, I think Martyrs is brilliant. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it is rough. Yeah. Like, it so, tears your soul Ma out. Yeah. Martyrs, so like a lot of people who saw Me Megalomaniac uh, who were talking after were kind of like, it took Martyrs even to another level. Whoa, so you okay. you gotta check it out, I guess. Okay, I have yeah. to check it out. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> 
Well, the movie was a lot of fun. I feel like it's kind of a new take on the slasher. It's like a, a psychological slasher in a way. Um, and it's I've read some of your previous interviews, and it sounds like it was kind of, the, in terms of inspiration, a perfect storm of these kind of, these in- Instagram influencers who pre- pretend to be experts on certain things, and then people put their own mental health, you know, into the hands of these people who just really know next to nothing. Um and yeah, I looked into that person that you'd cited, Belle Gibson, who had an inst yeah. for those of you listening who haven't heard, this is an Instagram influencer who claimed to have a brain tumor and that she had three months to live, and then she said that she was essentially gonna go on this very healthy diet and uh, her followers followed her throughout the course of a few months, claiming that she went into remission from this very healthy diet and she sold cookbooks and you know digital products. It turns out she never had cancer. So yeah, there's there's a lot of those, and it's kind of scary, you know. Um, and I feel like nobody has covered that yet. So can you talk about some of the influences that went into the film? Yeah, definitely Belle Gibson. I mean, she was fascinating, and watching watching her getting skewered by the Australian media was was not only um, fun, which is a terrible <laughs> thing to say. Well, <laughs> you, you don't wish it on anybody, but it was fascinating watching to watch. her lie. Yeah. Fascinating. You should you should look up on YouTube if if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely something that we kind of watched on repeat. But the sixty minutes, so sixty minutes is like a current affair. It's like our kind of most kind of yeah, we got one. Uh, prestigious kind of interview type of show and they she's wearing this like pink total neck sweater to sort of hide the blushing yeah it's a strategy <laughs> to hide blushing. oh you're like neck <laughs> hives that you get when you lie yeah and they're just grilling her and um i think what is is fascinating is not just someone who can uh in, consci- in good conscience do that but then sit on a national talk show like that and and just uh, you can see them try to get out of every single way of claiming any responsibility whatsoever. And that notion was a big influence for us. And and it was also at the time of Trump being elected. And so it was kind of like, wow, what's going on? Like the people at the biggest uh, levels of influence in our society are acting like kids and just not claiming anything. Well, right? and the psychopathy just us watching it as entertainment and how we digest it um, societally around the world is is also fascinating as well and and how did the how did we get put these people up like how did they we've profitized them as well like we're right. responsible for them being in these positions and and mm. the same thing is happening you know on a smaller scale but a global scale with social media with tiktok and instagram well, and that's how they're getting there right yeah through the influence of those platforms which didn't exist before so it's a whole new world you know yeah so who are we allowing ourselves to be influenced by Mm. Um, who are we putting up on the pedestal and then taking off the pedestal and um, what are, what's our relationship with our own mental health? What, what are we putting out there? What, what filters are we also engaging with? You know, we're only portraying certain aspects of our personalities or lives and how is that contributing to the downfall of a whole generation's worth of mental health? Like yeah. millennials and Z, the suicide rates have never been higher. Um yeah, so why? And well, this is the first generation now, Gen Z, that is born with it. 
Right. Um, where, like, my my parents and stuff would say to me, like, I remember a world before the internet, and now my version is like, I remember a world before social media. Yeah. That's, that's what starts to make you feel like you're older again. <laughs> that's what was kind of like a tricky thing with us, because like the, I like we would talk about this a lot. We didn't want to denigrate the idea of seeking mental help. Like that's super important, and we do therapy. We're very uh, we're very open about that. And we and. And we 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 love to hey if there's someone that you can pay to sit down and work out your issues for you so you don't have to it's like sign me up, but you know you, it's just more about being careful uh, about who you prescribe to because um, someone can obviously look to seem like they're all about mental health and all this good stuff but uh, possibly have ulterior motives i.e. their own self esteem their own ego wanting to get likes hits right. be somebody in the world uh, which is obviously the wrong reason I want to help somebody. Um, but it's tricky. It's, it's a bit of a minefield because how do you know who is doing a good work and who's not? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then, I mean, the whole, what made me laugh in the movie was her selling her like fair trade rope that she would put around herself to form like a boundary circle. Is that based on truth? Cause that's the silliest yeah. thing yeah. I've ever Cognitive seen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, um, Eli Roth said that he usually makes movies about things that scare him and, um, can't, right. um, I almost said cannibal Holocaust. What was his? Uh, Green Inferno, he said, was basically about the, a, a gen, an entire generation of kind of slacktivism people on social media who were posting about causes, but they're not actually doing anything about it. They're not getting out and protesting and stuff like that. And that translated into Green Inferno, which I thought was great. And not enough people see it or talk about it, but it was excellent. But the idea that you channel a fear, like a real societal yeah. fear into yeah. horror, I mean, that's what the genre is here for, yeah. basically. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even if you look at like uh, Cabin Fever, like I mean, I guess he's he's always been interested in that idea of like us being infected uh, by an ideology or something. Mm. Like Cabin Fever, it's a little more it's like some kind of plague, some disease, and in Green Inferno, it's cannibals, you know. But it's still that idea of kind of cultivism, and um, and I guess in that sense, it's almost more like they represent the natural world and these are these intruders, you know, it's kind of, mm. it's kind of like what he does with Hostel in a way about being like about kind of xenophobia and, um, and like kind of like Americanism on Europe and stuff like that. Yeah. It's always, he's always doing these big concept films. I think that talk about kind of, um, I don't know, our entitlement or something in the West, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, horror has always been the, the, the best genre for exploring those kind of things, you know? And I feel like that's exactly yeah. what you guys did yeah. with this movie. So how did the film itself come about? I mean, um, after you had written, after you'd written it, developed it, how did you guys get to finally make it? Um, well, um, I knew our producer, Lisa Shaughnessy, uh, in Australia. Um, I, I used to actually be an office intern during uh, my undergrad at university um, at a film production company. Um uh which was actually huge oh, wow. film film company seed which was based in sydney at the time um i think i think he was working on one of the x-men movies maybe wolverine i don't know um uh anyway and so that's where i met her and so years later we we had this script and i just kind of sent it to her and it kind of went from there we we, we basically kind of met up um uh she kind of had this investor uh in Canberra and said, listen, if, if this movie can be set in Canberra, which, which is our kind of our DC, you know, it's mm -hmm. our national territory, not, not quite a kind of state in itself, but it's within our state of New South Wales. And, um, it is a state, it's well, it's a state, but it's, it's a territory, the ACT, the Australian capital territory. Yeah. I okay, guess it's considered a state. Okay. Don't knock Canberra. Uh, I'm not knocking Canberra. <laughs> I love it. I, 
I really making the movie there really opened my eyes to because basically it's it's a city, but it's also got kind of rural uh, stuff and like all the things that we needed, like a cliffside and like the topography was forest. wonderful for us to work with because you can go fifteen minutes anywhere and there's a yeah. city and then there's like we, the country and oh, wow. we could be in like a we could be in like the forest, you know, during the day and then in the nightclub at night and 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 so we basically were like, yeah, we can make it there and it was as simple as kind of. Um, uh, her bringing on John, John de Margariti, who was our Canberra based producer. Um, and, uh, um, with the help of kind of like Screen Canberra, which is a government, um, agency, a funding body, which I know doesn't exist in the States, but, uh, that was one of the reasons, um, why we had, we were living in LA at the time and we wanted to move home to make the film because we were like, we need to take advantage of, um, government film funding basically yeah and as soon as we got home as soon as we got home we started to ride sissy so the whole kind of thing for us was uh our first time making an australian movie and and using kind of government um funding and and um so yeah so basically it was a combination of kind of script to uh to one producer and funding from another producer and and then the pandemic kind of hit and i think for our producers, it kind of took our project more to the top of the pile. Like they'd been developing things for a couple of years that they were going to make next, but they were kind of bigger budget things and involved street scenes and lots of extras. And and our script suddenly was a lot more contained. Mm. And so we, we kind of, from, from the point of handing over the script to essentially shooting was like maybe a year. Less than like less wow. than a year, like it, it, it just went very quickly. Yeah. And we developed the scripts. We, we developed the script at the time with our producers and, um, um, but we wrote the script completely on spec. Like we, Trump was inaugurated and we were like, bye LA. We're, we're not staying around for this period because it just looks a bit scary. Mm-hmm. And we were right. We were kind of ready to leave to to go on a new adventure anyway at the time. And that was kind of like the. But we, we you know, came thing. home and we were just like, let's just write a script and see where it lands. And it was a good risk that we took because um, there was no guarantee that it was going to work out. And yeah. It's, yeah. Four, four years later, we made this movie. <laughs> Very cool. The movie has a really, or actually, I'll back up a little bit. Um, <clears throat> the the tone of the movie has a surrealism to it. And um, there are moments where a lot of the cast, a lot of the characters, and I, I, I said this to, to Holly, my fiance, I was like, God, a lot of these characters act kind of annoying. She goes, well, yeah, it's about social media and people on social media are always smiling. They're always fake. They're always annoying. And I just went, oh, light bulb. That is kind of governing the tone of the movie. It's almost like everybody's putting their best face forward and like intentionally creating that false identity that we see on social media. So was that like, that must have been intentional, right? I mean, I think so. Like, yeah. I think we're, what we're doing with those characters is presenting the worst social aspect of a group dynamic yeah. um, and a particular female group dynamic, which can be quite fake and false. Um, we, you know, we base this movie on Muriel's Wedding, which has this has a similar tone. Okay. Um, and Mean Girls. Kind of and Mean Girls. Oh, yeah, you know, the, the way... The psychological way that women torture each other is often through niceties and gaslighting mm. and exclusion. Mm. Um, and I think all of that stuff is uh, prevalent through social media because we are all bullshitting and lying to each other. Everything's right. fine and amazing thing that happened to me and is it my life? Great. I'm living my best life. Like that's really toxic behaviour and we're all 
encouraging it um, well, and participating in it. And 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 I think I think it's also really a movie about kind of toxic friendships, um, kind of across the board. Like I mean, the obvious one being Sissy and Emma, but also also in some ways Emma and Alex, in some ways some of those other friends. It it, it doesn't feel like any of them really you know um are best friends although um maybe maybe there's there's pairings you know there's kind of like uh, tr- uh there's tracy and jamie who are kind of like the kind of tweedledee and tweedledum in a way of the group but um um there's definitely like these pairings and obviously uh emma and fran her fiance but but you know in general it feels like yeah it feels like kind of when you have those groups of friends where maybe you stick together because you've known each other since you were kids but you kind of move in different directions and things like that um but you feel like you know you still have to come together and do these kind of life life moment things together right there's little things like that that i think our actors will probably all kind of playing playing into or those kind of discussions we have maybe a little more in in pre-production when we're doing the read-throughs and um just about those relationships but yeah toxic friendships i think we all have them um and also the 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 worship of reality tv yeah which yeah, is i noticed more. that like Love Island and The Bachelor and that's all influencing us in a very terrible way as well where we'd rather sit down and watch a toxic show about people being toxic to each other than actually engage and connect and Cecilia's trying to engage and connect oh yeah yeah, but she can't break that wall yeah um, because we'd rather sit around and judge other people than actually be vulnerable with each other yeah which is also an, a very Australian, in Australia, there's a thing called tall poppy syndrome, which is we would rather everybody stay the same height, like we're all the same height as poppies. And if there's a taller poppy, we cut them down. And so yeah. that's kind of tonally in there as well, like we're pointing it. it it's oh, a very competitive, it's like an oddly competitive thing that goes on in Australia, which even... No one's allowed to shine or be proud yeah. of themselves. Whoa. Or, Whereas I would say in I would say in like America that that success um, is something that is admired and looked up to, whereas in and a way and encouraged, which I think is why the country um, you know became in the first place so big and strong and and wealthy and stuff. There was this this kind of um, the American dream, pi- right? Well, well, right. well, a pioneering. Sp- and I think in Australia, um, as much as I love it, one of the things that I dislike is this competitiveness that does kind of exist sometimes in a very subtle way amongst a lot of friendships. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can totally see that. Well, the production design Mm -hmm. was really cool and really unique, very beautiful. Also kind of similarly, it seemed to have a a surrealness to it. It seemed to, there were moments, there were shots that kind of felt very Instagrammable, you know, like people will redecorate their house just for Instagram or redecorate their tables or whatever. Um, there were a lot of like very Instagrammable moments throughout the course of the movie that felt very specific to Instagram. Um, but there were also very surreal landscape shots that looked awesome, like with the big moon and stuff, stuff like that. Could you talk about the influences of the production design? Because it was very, very unique. Mm. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I, Michael Price is our production designer, and I actually went to high school with Michael, uh, and he did a phenomenal job in eleven days of pre-production and twenty-one days of production. Which mm. I don't know how he pulled all of that stuff together with Courtney. He, he was designing those sets like the day before we got to that scene because there was not a lot of lead time, so he was just purely fly, flying. I think off his uh, 
his own taste. That's why we hired him. He's got great, great taste. And um, he really fought for that house with our producers. He like made sure that we shot at that yeah. house. It was like the lines here. There's no way you there was, could shoot anywhere there, else. There was a moment where, uh, because that house was about an hour away from where we were based in Canberra, um, uh, it was basically decided that we couldn't move over there, that everyone had to just kind of drive up and back from set and we would lose those two hours. Oh. Those two hours of travel time would, would come out of our day. So we, if you totaled up, say, the week or so that we shot at that house, we lost about a day of shooting. Um, but Michael was actually the one who fought for it and said, if you just go to a more generic house, then it's totally kind of lost this, um, which which we agreed with. But yeah. And it was a beautiful house, but it wasn't it wasn't this architectural kind of design marble that jutted out of a hillside. Like there was something quite unique about that house. And so, so you know, he really fought for it, and I think I think that's all you can really ask for at the end of the day of your production designer, and is really to fight for the things. Because as a director, you're getting hit from so many angles that you really expect your kind of heads of department to fight for what they believe in. And he was in the trenches with us. Thank thank God he did. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, but but the whole the, sparkly aesthetic and the color and all of that, a lot of it was influenced by. Muriel's Wedding, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if you've seen Muriel's Wedding. No, I've heard of the it. kind of karaoke. Oh, you've yeah. got to see it. It's okay. the it's totally the strangest Australian export. It's pitched as a broad comedy, uh, and it's with starring Tony Collette, and that's kind of what started her career here in Australia. Yeah. Um, but it's really, really dark and sadistic. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a genre film, but in many ways, it kind of became our main influence in a sense, or like our north star, because. It, it was always pitched as like a comedy growing up and you watch and you're like, it's really fucked up. It's really dark. Like it's really dark. And like then, my mum sticks her head in the oven and kills herself. Hey, but anyway, spoil anything. I'm saying, like there are horror elements that make it, it strange, but. um. But yeah, it's, uh, well, I think that's what's so great about the movies. Like you don't know what's going to happen. It's so dark, but yeah, I look, it, it's not necessarily something we pulled from one film. I mean, we've we've always been a fan of like Miranda July's movies, like a lot of um, these filmmakers that kind of do that aren't necessarily in like the horror genre, but that are doing these kind of creative little flourishes from time to time. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Baz Luhrmann is obviously probably the most famous case in Australia, and his films are on like an operatic scale. But there's all these kind of little flourishes that happen all throughout. I mean, yeah. he's probably more on like the epic side of doing that, you know? Um, whereas I think with this one, it wasn't necessarily, um, it wasn't necessarily, uh, something that I think we said, we want to make a film that is kind of like glitter meets gore or something like that. Mm. It's just that as you, as you develop the story, you start realizing like so much of this movie kind of comes from her, this time capsule when she was kid, when, when, right. when they were kids, and the glitter and the nail polish and all the stuff that goes in there. And it would just make a lot of sense to represent that in the film somehow, because it is a point of view story and we are, um, the film is named after the league character. And so right. it's like, you're seeing the world through her perspective, you know, and, um, um, while you can't necessarily have the camera, like be her eyes, like in something like, I don't know, um, what, what's that, what, what's that movie? Hardcore Henry or whatever. Yeah. Uh, not that kind of point of view, but like shot in a classical way, but, 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 but as internal as we can get. And right. I think because she's delusional and she's still living, she's stunted at the, at the, the age that that trauma happened to her when she was a kid. That's what often happens when you suffer a traumatic incident as a child is that you're, you're kind of stunted in that age in many ways. Hmm. And so I think a lot of that kind of, um, stuff came from that. Um, 
Yeah. And our editor, Margie Hoy, was fantastic. She would kind of, uh, she brought a lot of that kind of glitter effect. Like she popped on that paper moon. Yeah. We came yeah. into the edit room one morning and she was like, what do you think about this? And the paper moon pops on and we're like, oh, God. Yeah. And then the, like how, how, how long the glitter rain here? comes down over the house and we were like, where is this going? And then we sat with it for a day and we're like, that's genius. Yes, the time <laughs> capsule's expanding. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, it all makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we really just thought Margie kind of um, had been in there all night and was losing her mind. But then when you sat with it a little longer, it, it yeah, kind of Because she really encouraged us to think of it as more than just the horror elements. She was yeah. like, this is really a coming of age or like a regressing to a certain age story and yeah. Um, yeah. be brave and bold and the glittery um, whimsy, mm. cracked whimsy of it all. And well, that's that's a big reason why why we kind of hired Mar Margie because, you know, like she doesn't come from a genre background. She edits human dra drama and sweet kind of intimate s s stories and coming-of-age things. And, and, and we always felt like if we can bring the genre references, but if she can really help us out with making this a human drama. Oh, that's smart. Um, so it doesn't feel like every other horror movie in the edit. Yeah. Right. Smart. Sometimes a lot of that's in the edit, you know, yeah. and, and the way it's shot too. Yeah. yeah. Well, it looks fantastic. And uh, all you listeners, definitely check it out. Sissy is streaming on Shutter right now. And uh, thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Before we wrap up, any parting <laughs> advice or wisdom for those aspiring horror filmmakers out there? Um, you don't have to go to film school. You, it it's always helps to find a creative soulmate if you don't know what you're doing. I think yeah. I found that in Kane. Um, yeah. We started collaborating about six years ago and now we're here with our film on Charter. So, you know, there are so many ways to approach a filmmaking career and I think the best advice was from Mark and Jay Duplass, which is just go ahead and do it. Yeah, the cavalry isn't coming. Yes. That, that whole speech, Mark at South by a few years back. There's no reason for you not to do it. Like yeah. we have technology, so just start and then eventually you'll carve a path for yourself in a yeah. very treacherous or just difficult industry. And just finish the thing you start, you know, like it, you might feel like it's the biggest piece of shit, but you'll never actually objectively um, have the answer on that until you finish it. And even if you leave it on the hard drive there, walk away for a month and come, come back to it, show it to some friends. It's, it's the self-judgment thing that often gets in the way, I think, of a lot of that. And it, 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 it happens to us on everything, you know. Like I remember being in the edit, being like, what have we done? What have we done, you know? And then uh, <laughs> feeling like we didn't kind of do the script justice or whatever. And, and, and then you look back and go, but so much of that wasn't in the script. So much of that mm. stuff that you're referencing wasn't in the script. It was found in, in the filmmaking process. So you never really know what you have until you just at least get to the end of it for better or worse and, and learn from the finished product. Wow. That's golden. Thank you both. This was really great. And congrats on the film. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having us. All right. Here are some key takeaways from this conversation with Kane and Hannah. Number one, fight for the things that will distinguish your movie. While location scouting, the directors found the perfect house to film at. It was beautiful, Instagrammable, furnished really nicely, and added a ton of production value. Problem was, it was a two-hour drive from where they were staying, meaning they would lose four hours every day. Despite the fact that there was a perfectly feasible but underwhelming other house option that was closer to where they were staying... 
They picked the original house anyway, and it gave the movie a really great look. In the fog of production, amidst all the complications and endless decisions, it's easy to say fuck it and let certain things go. Sometimes this is necessary, but try to be cautious of this instinct, especially when it can cost you the things that will distinguish your movie. If you see Sissy, you'll see that the house is very unique and it gave the movie an entire new level of production value. If you get these rare opportunities, consider taking them. They always cost something though, so make sure it's worth it. Number two, channel real fear and anxiety into your movie. Eli Roth said that he tries to ensure each movie he makes reflects a real fear of his own, which is what makes his movies so personal and the fear elements of them so palpable. Kane and Hannah channeled their real fear of this generation's social media obsession and angst into this movie, and it's very palpable. When you channel real fears and anxiety that come from an authentic place into your movie, even as subtext, the audience is more likely to feel it on a visceral level, which makes for great horror. Anyway, guys, thanks as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor and on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.